Welcome to Behind the Mask, the podcast where Rup and I offer a fresh lens on the male psyche, exploring behaviours, perceptions and mental health. In today's episode, we speak to Chris Baker. Chris is an award-winning social change strategist. He's worked on the full spectrum of society's problems, from the This Girl Can campaign, through to homelessness, through to knife crime. Yeah, this is a really insightful chat with Chris. We speak about what it means to be a strategist, how the advertising industry is using your psychology against you to sell you things. And we also explore how people are becoming more conscientious of social issues and why the corporate world is having to follow suit. And ultimately, a big theme in this episode is that by taking action on the issues that you care about and changing where you put your money, you can change the world. Yeah, we're all pretty well-versed and passionate about the things we discuss in this episode. As all three of us work in the marketing and comms sector at agencies that drive positive change, Chris and I at Kindred and Tom at Common Industry. But like Tom said, really hope everyone enjoys it and um, there are some great things that anyone can take into their day-to-day life. somebody listening to this who isn't involved in the advertising world like we are like me and Rupe obviously work in PR how how would you explain to somebody um with like no jargon how what a strategist is and what a strategist does yeah I mean that's a great question I think you know tend you tend to think with advertising in particular that it's all pretty pictures and great films and all that sort of stuff um which it is but there's there's a strategy that sits behind it right so the role of a strategist is to understand what you're trying to achieve with that piece of communications and understand what the audience what the audience thinks um how they behave currently and also what you what you need to do to get them to um to change their behavior in some way so so it's very much about what are you trying to get them to who are they what are you trying to get them to do and how are you going to get them to do it and the strategist is the i suppose the the brains of the act to go we love we know we need these pretty pictures and this thing that's going to move people emotionally but we need to make sure we're pushing the right buttons rather than just making something cool so that, that's that's what a strategist does basically yeah so it's it's very science-based and i'm guessing you're looking at a lot of research about how the brain works how people work and how like you say you can encourage them to do what you want them to do to achieve the intended outcome right yeah absolutely i mean it it, it i don't know spot on i, th- I think it, it um you know, like when, when you first get into the, the industry it's there's so much stuff thrown your way that is a bit overwhelming but, but actually as you start to get get the basics down starting to get into psychology um and why people behave in the way they do why they make decisions in the way they they do um you know it is it is fundamental to understand human psychology if, you, if you're trying to be trying to make communications without that you're doing it with one hand one hand tied behind your back right there's and there's so it's it's quite it's quite exciting at the moment when you you look back over the last sort of 15, 20 years worth of academic literature around psychology and behavioural science. It is staggering, the journey. It's almost like a space race happening inside our head, right? With just this understanding that was that just wasn't there 20, 30 years ago or in its very early days with people like Kahneman and Tversky. Um, now it's like... It's so smart. There's so many. It's so robust and so proven. And I think the interesting thing is, um, it's called behavioral economics because it's the combination of both psychology and economics. So I think previously psychology was seen as quite a soft discipline, 
Um, economics, obviously, super hardcore, right? It's the numbers. The combination of the two were, were fascinating. And um, it's, it's, it's always like the traditional belief of economics, and this is probably a little bit of a tangent to your question, but the traditional belief of like all, all economic models that the, everything is based on is that man or woman is a rational actor, right? We will look at all the, um, all the options available to us and we will make the decision that will maximise our utility from it, so our return, that, that humans are 100% rational. And you say that now and you're like, it's com- clearly complete madness, right? We're, we're emotional, we're moody on some days, happy on other days, hungover on some days when we're allowed out, you know, think, things like that. Um, we are massively emotional. We're massively influenced by how we're feeling that day and, and also our kind of evolutionary past, right? So all of those things are, um, it's been, it's, it's fascinating. Like I, I, um, I'm a bit of a geek around that kind of stuff and spend a lot of time reading. Um, but it's massively useful. I think if you didn't, if you're a planner or a strategist and you haven't got your head around that sort of stuff, at least to a certain degree, you're, yeah, you are, you are kind of playing with one hand behind your back, really. Probably one of the things I'm most proud of actually looking back, and it's it's been a while, is is this um, the work we did for for Pearson um, in project project literacy. So they oh yeah, they're like the textbook and exam um, like board or manufacturer, right? They make textbooks and design exams. They'd work to go look. The the big problem we should be addressing as an education company is illiteracy, um, massive massive global issue. Um, one in ten globally, so you know, seven hundred million people are unable to read or write. That is staggering. Um, and when you think about it in the context of, you know, it's not it's not just not being able to write a letter or read a book or um, you know cuddle up with a novel and, and, and get all cosy. You know, it, it's fundamentally affecting their lives and their existence. You know, you can't read a a medicine bottle. You can't fill in a job job application. Um, you can't understand how to keep yourself safe in a pandemic. You know, all these kind of things that are yeah, yeah. very, very difficult. Illiteracy is an underpinning factor in all of those issues. So everything from violence, ending up in jail, life of crime, things like suicide, um, things like disease spreading. I mean, I mean, even AIDS, for example, there's elements of how you protect yourself from that that you wouldn't necessarily learn without being able to get the knowledge, really. So, So it was very much about... Okay, illiteracy is the cause of, or a cause of a lot of these problems. And um, by by addressing it, you can lift hundreds of millions of people out of poverty because they've got the school the skills to be able to move forward. You can address things like gender inequality. And there's so much more stuff around it. So it was uh, probably one of the most um, you know, difficult campaigns to work on from a planning point of view because we went, okay, look, Illiteracy is this underpinning link to all the world's problems. And if we solve it, we can make all of these problems better. So we had to go through and prove this sort of causal link with each of the 26 problems. And the reason I say 26 is we said to the creatives, illiteracy underpins all these problems. All the world's problems are underpinned by illiteracy. Kind of big statement on a creative brief. And they went, cool, we're going to do the alphabet of illiteracy. We need 26 problems that this this works with. And we're like, oh, probably can do that but that might, that's gonna take a lot of work so it was you know, google planning at a ridiculous degree to like find the link and getting through all sorts of academic papers and things like that um so that was that was um a fascinating one St- really struck a chord when it when it went out and um, had all sorts of different work around the alphabet that 
um, was was and, and lots and we did lots of we had a partner for each of the twenty six letters and twenty six issues of people who were working on the ground and generating funds for these programs. So so it was it was a really that was one where you're like that was that was brilliant. That's the kind of thing I want to do more of really. That was great. Um, to give people who don't work in kind of the industry a, a nice insight into what it is that you do and, and how it kind of works. I imagine that um, people p- perhaps have this um, like madman perception of the advertising industry for those who you know don't have that much knowledge or haven't really experienced it. Um, but what you was just referring to there, I guess that can be kind of used in two ways and it's something that we'll come on to explore like during the episode. I guess that the behavioural economics and the behavioural science can be used to sell products and it can be used to change behaviour, I guess. And I know that you mentioned to us in the chat that we had before this that, um, you know, you've you've got experience of, of both things. Um, and it'll be good to just kind of explore what you liked um say if we say if we like say if we maybe go with this the selling products first first of all um and how it can be applied to to selling things and kind of the maybe like the experience that you have in in that route it's a great question i think um with this kind of powerful toolkit at your disposal every time you use it i think there's an element of a moral judgment about it um you can choose to tap into someone's insecurities to sell them an anti-aging product, to sell them a, a fizzy drink or an energy drink or you know, whatever that might be. Um, but there's, 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 there is a line, I would imagine. And then um, I think everyone's going to have a slightly different point of view on where that line sits. Um, personally, I've chosen to try and use those that knowledge and those those skills and that kind of understanding to try and bring about more positive change. And And, you know, if that's about trying to get someone to put more money in their pension and stop living for every every day, using that tool to try and get people to think a bit more um, into the future and think about their future self rather than their present self is a really, it's actually, it's a very good thing to do, right? Um, using it to try and get someone to bet on a game of football by chucking an in, in-play odds ad two minutes before a game. Um, I think there's a, there's a, grey area there and I think it'll be interesting to see how it how it plays out going forward um you know it is such a powerful tool and and advertising in general is a powerful tool right there's there's a um a big debate going on at the moment about the fast food advertising ban um about whether it should happen and whether people should be able to be advertised to for high fat and high sugar food um and I can see both sides of it right I've worked in agencies where it's you know, it's tough. It's a massively competitive industry. And an account like a, I don't know, a Just Eat or a McDonald's or a Burger King pays the bills, right? Um, a Walker's, an Oreo, whatever whatever they might do. They they are doing a lot of advertising. They're paying a lot of bills. They're, they're keeping a lot of people employed. Um, so obviously when the government talked about this ban, there was a lot of um, concern that it would cost jobs. And especially with it being around the, the pandemic as well. I think it was middle of last year. It was it was yeah. starting to happen. Um, I well, should clarify: this yeah. is a a ban on advertising for unhealthy food, and yeah. it was the government announced it in August twenty twenty, right? It's that ban. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, cool. so yeah, just 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 to clarify. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, well worth doing. Um, so yeah, the government are looking, and they're obviously consulting about it. But the the industry are up in arms, going, it won't stop. Um, it won't stop people eating 
fatty food. And I find it quite I find it quite hard to believe that because we spend so much time as the industry bodies talking about how effective advertising is. And and then on one on one hand we're saying it's super effective, it sells products, it does all these kind of things. I think a lot of the entries in the IPA awards, which is the most effective advertising campaigns were thing from things like KFC last year. There was maybe three or four from like fast food or fatty food. It works, right? Advertising works. It sells food. It sells cars. It sells all of these things. So to stand up and say, but it won't won't help with the obesity problem, I think is is tricky because you know if you're hungry and you're and then the first thing you see is a an ad for a Zinger Tower burger or a massive Big Mac. It's that association that's there. Like it's going to happen. We've we've got this. And human nature is we have this sort of predisposed weakness towards fatty food. And like when you dig into the science behind it, thousands or millions of years ago when food was scarce, um, it was it was a good thing to eat fatty food, right? Because it, it saw you through the next like lean spell. You know, you'd find a, I don't know, you'd kill a wild boar or whatever it might be. You'd fill your boots. You'd have this kind of probably massively historically inaccurate feast or whatever to, to, to do it but you know you you would you would fill your boots when you had the chance um and we've developed this sort of desire to overeat and eat too many calories because it had a survival benefit now the opposite is true right we live in a time of food abundance every you know or huge amounts of the developing developed world live in a time where um food is everywhere and obviously you know the notwithstanding the conversations at the moment around food poverty and food banks and all those kind of things, but there are a lot of options for food. It's hugely convenient. We are consuming too many calories, so you're more likely to die from a condition related to eating too much than eating too little at the moment. Um, so surely there is a, an element of moral responsibility for the industry and the government to to police that in some manner, I would have thought. Yeah. 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 It's It's like if they're knowing that they're manipulating our kind of human condition in such a way to, to make us overeat and sell us food, there needs to be more control on that, basically. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't think it's that sinister. Like, it's not about yeah. McDonald's going, ha, 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 we're going to try and, you know, sell everyone loads of Big Macs and all this sort of stuff. I think it's just, you know, they've got businesses to run, right? And and I think, and, and you know, people make their own choices, right? They, they um, But if, if the choices that you are presented with are fast food and... The, the, the big companies that can afford to spend a lot of money on advertising and you see like you know, Coke or a massive advertiser with their high sugar drinks and obviously they're moving towards reformulations. But I don't know, There's there's got to be an element of legislation to sort of make it a little bit easier for people to make good choices because we're, we're humans are weak, right? We're, we're weak and if we're wandering around and we, we're hungry and we're, all we're seeing is fast food options, it's... It's inevitable what we're going to choose. We, we have. It, it makes it makes sense. I, I was watching the social dilemma recently, and and something that came and that's all about social media of companies and like, it talks about are they evil in the way they manipulate people? And I think it's a similar thing where like, the documentary showed how it was a group of just normal people who were doing their jobs trying to make something successful, and it was almost like a byproduct of the success was all of this. It's not like there's a the equivalent of a Chris Baker sitting at a massive McDonald's tower kind of looking like a Bond villain, stroking a cat, <laughs> thinking, yes, let the peasants eat all the fat. It's um, it's almost just inevitable, unintended consequence of the success of these companies. The thing that I think is probably most striking is for the industry to be able to say there's no way it has an effect on um, obesity is just 
not true. From from what we know about how advertising works, it's just not true. That's not to say you you rule everything out and you 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 mean I'm not saying stop everyone in the country eating having a burger once in a while and and stop advertising for it, but it's just we should acknowledge as a as a sector there's some degree of responsibility and work with government and work with the food sector to to try and find a solution. Um, and and one thing you know when you look at the the work I've done around um, the sugar tax and um, what happened there. So so um, basically there was going to be a tax introduced on high sugar fizzy drinks and, and things like that. Um, the That piece of policy and the advertising around it drove companies like Coke to advertise for Coke Zero and Diet Coke rather than full fat. Um, and all the um, producers are reformulating their product to, to come under the tax. So you can't say that legislation doesn't have an impact um, on everything, right? So, so it's just, I don't know. There, there is. We've got to acknowledge our weaknesses as humans and try and try and create an environment that make helps us make positive choices more often than not. And that's not to say don't have a pizza, right? Because everyone wants pizza once in a while. Um, but you know, trying to create an environment where it's easier to make healthy choices is probably a, a good thing. Yeah, it's a it's a convert. I think you mentioned it a minute ago about. Um, I think it's a conversation around morals as well, isn't it? Like, and how much regulation is is the right amount? Like, f- from my experience of having worked on different brands, you have certain rules and regulations around advertising alcohol, um, similar with gambling, and I think it's just finding what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable about um advertising for for in this conversation we're saying fast food um for example but you mentioned um coca-cola there and uh one of the campaigns that i remember seeing recently that that coca-cola did um was putting new year's resolutions on cans to inspire positivity in 2021 and i think another interesting topic of conversation is whether it's whether it's okay for 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 brands like say coca-cola to to do something like this essentially that they're trying to sell their own product but i think that potentially brings us onto a topic of virtue 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 signaling versus real sort of advocacy so are coca-cola genuinely wanting to inspire positivity and you know increase people's mental well-being and that sort of thing or are they just doing it to essentially sell their product and do you think there's maybe a conversation to be had about brands um integrity i guess in in the comms that they that they put out i mean great great question and 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 a big one i think um so i i mean coke I've spent years communicating about happiness, right? Trying to be this, um, you know, things like, I mean, I won't go into all sorts of advertising executions because know your audience, but they, you know, they, they communicate around happiness and have for a long time things like the polar bears at Christmas and the Santa's truck and they're trying to attach to like joyful moments, whether it's summer or Christmas, right? That's their, that's their strategy. They, they are trying to talk about happiness. Um, the New Year's resolution thing, um, it's probably is an extension of that, right? It's 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 not like it's um a bad thing. It's probably better than not having some that sort of message on there. Um, I, I think the what you'd like, what I think is is interesting in this in this world. So so I think the pandemic has been a massive catalyst on, like you know, putting uh, to uh, putting aside the 
know, shocking effects had on the world over the last um, year. Um, I think it's a massive catalyst on things that were starting to happen anyway, really ramping up as we come out of it. The, you know, having the time to think and go, um, you know, sustainability is going to come back as even more of an issue once once we come out the other side of this. Um, and it's already, you know, you're seeing that conversation with the Biden administration moving down that road and Boris jumping on board and COP26 happening. Like sustainability is ramping up. A big conversation around diversity and inclusion and all the Black Lives Matter movement. I think brands um, brands need to, they have more responsibility than they think they do. And they have a lot of power. Um, they have a massive audience. They have you know, millions and millions of dollars to spend. Um, and... I think there there is a bit of a line to walk, right? You want to be trying to, or it would make sense for them to um, try and make a positive impact on the world. I think the when you look at some of the recent research coming out of all sorts of different bodies, there's people saying, I want to buy from a brand that has a positive social or environmental impact. Um, I want to work for a company that does that. There is the data there that more and more people want their purchases to reflect their... Um, their own politics and their own beliefs. It's tricky because it is it is bloody complicated, the world out there. Um, there is There are so many shades of grey. The marketing team are obviously not going to have the same responsibility as the finance team. They're not going to be incentivised in the same way. Um, so brands that brands that are trying to, or businesses that are trying to do good things, you, I, I think there's two things. I think firstly, you um, actions speak louder than words. So you need to try and have, if you're going to talk about a problem and try and do something, you need to actually commit to having a genuine impact and you need to be in it for a reasonable period of time. Like, um, so Pearson's literacy campaign was com- was committing a few million quid a, a year um, to this to this cause and it had programmatic interests and all those kind of things. Um, if you just parachute in and then you move on to the next problem, that I think is an issue. Um, and I think there's a second point around like, virtue shaming and like cancel culture and this thought of if a brand does something and they're not absolutely perfect across every aspect of their business. They get a rinsing. And I think that's dangerous because I can, under, I can understand the justification. You know, um, I don't know, EasyJet talking about carbon offset, for example, of a lot of their flights. Um, they're not perfect, right? Carbon offset is not a perfect solution by any means. But the fact they're doing something is better than nothing. And it, and it will pull the rest of the industry in in their in that direction and it will pull more and more people over and if and if it's shown to be a success in terms of i don't know winning business or, or selling chocolate bars or whatever it might be more and more businesses are going to do it whereas if they get a pr backlash every time they do something that is well-intentioned they're just going to go well fuck that i'm just going to go and um sell more biscuits and do it by partnering up with a pop star right so <laughs> yeah. I, I think i think it's it's a danger like it, i can understand fully understand the reasons but I think it's dangerous this sort of virtue, virtue shaming and cancel culture on businesses because they're try- they're, it seems like they're trying to do the right thing. It should be encouraged. With Change Please and Serious Tissues, the, the um, social enterprises I've, I've been involved in, um, the principle is, is a really simple one. This idea that you're going to buy a product anyway, and if you buy it from us rather than someone else, it will make a positive change in, in the world, right? So, um, change please, change please is a is a coffee business that trains homeless people as as baristas. Um, 
gives them the skills to sell great coffee on the on the streets of London when um when it when it's open. Um, you know, all we were asking people to do was don't go into Costa or Starbucks or Nero or whoever you might go to and, and come to us and you'll help turn this guy's life around. And that's super powerful, right? If you've got the opportunity to spend the 250, three quid you were going to spend anyway to make something positive happen in the world. There's, there's not many people in the world who look at you look you in the eye and go, no, I wouldn't do that. Um, as long as the product is of the same quality, obviously. Yeah. Um, I think there's definitely um, a benefit into companies having that kind of cause of their heart as you've as you've mentioned like you mentioned earlier that people in general are waking up and wanting to support companies and brands that do things like that and i think living in a capitalist world as we do having these attaching yourself to issues like this and taking a stance is becoming profitable for companies and i noticed a few weeks ago that the sun and the daily express who are two newspapers i totally despise have announced really big green campaigns and they have dedicated reporters and sections to to the environment and sustainability and like knowing that those two newspapers are totally invested in their own self-interest i think it's a good sign that it's becoming profitable and kind of slowly shifting the like juggernaut of the world to, to, towards supporting those issues and they may be realizing okay they'll sell more papers if they promote environmental stories and that is going to be good long term because it's going to get the readers on board yeah yeah, i, I, th- so, I totally agree like i think um yeah i mean you're right those those papers, i mean for a long time the express will go nowhere near environmental issues but i think oh, the, yeah it's it's very clear when you look at the data that no one doubts climate change is happening Every, like you know you're looking at 80 high 80 percent of people are like this is happening and it's a threat in my lifetime um you know, you, it's hard to argue when you look at the extreme weather around and all of that kind of stuff. And, and obviously when young, older people are getting uh, talked to by their grandkids and, and things like that, like the, the climate strikes last year around um, getting students to bring their parents and grandparents on the climate strikes, I think was was a fascinating move to kind of show the kind of power around it. So I think it's definitely moving in that direction. I think, um, I mean, climate change is an interesting one because it's always been framed as an existential threat to to business right we 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 could stop emitting carbon but it will shut down the economy or um but the whole world will run out of power all this kind of stuff i think it's reached a tipping point now where it is not it is obviously a threat but it is not seen as like a handbrake on it's not seen as an economic threat it's seen as an economic opportunity so the amount of money and that and that's a really important distinction actually because businesses would go, we can't do it, or we'll do it in 20 years' time, they're kicking the can down the road for someone else to deal with. Now they go, and actually, you know, this is potentially the biggest business opportunity on the planet for us to run into sustainability. Every man and every consumer wants that. Every consumer wants products with no plastic, and uh, they want to have a positive impact on the world. They see, you know, the, the amazingly powerful Attenborough documentaries talking about the... Uh, and it was, you know, it was a really... I think a really big moment when he went from being a an observer um, and not really commenting on environmental issues a few years ago to suddenly being like, this is the way the world has changed in my lifetime reporting on this planet. That was a really powerful sort of sea change when he got off the fence and was like, this is this is changing. So, it, But I think it, it is a massive economic opportunity. Um, and that's not a bad thing because money changes things money drives exactly, money drives yeah. positive change so if suddenly but you if, mentioned the yeah. sugar tax yeah, yeah, yeah. drove positive change you're yeah. operating in a capitalist yeah. world you've got to play by those yeah. rules and money money is the 
most powerful invention human, humanity has ever come up with. And if you get it pointing in the right direction towards climate change and, you know, things like the, you know, green, great, the Green New Deal that's talked about in America maybe goes a bit too far into some policies that are around the fringes of sustainability and more around like equal opportunities. But the idea of putting large amounts of money behind this shift to, um, to a sustainable future and the, the kind of opportunity around a, a green grid and gr- electric cars, all those kind of things, it is, it, you know, the big winners of the next decade are going to be the ones who are making the most of that opportunity rather than ignoring it. There is, there is you know, um, big impact investing getting behind this and, and both, both environmental and social that, um, you know, so, so it's, you know, the, the chance, I, I think this is, I'm quite, I think this next decade is going to be enormous in terms of the sense of like social disruption. Um, brands that don't help will, 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 will find themselves struggling a bit. Um, and businesses that do will, will have, will do well and, and, but they'll do well because they're doing good. Um, and then, and no, it's very hard to, it's hard to knock a company who's driving positive change with, with what they do in terms of selling a product. Um, and if they make a bit of money along the way, fair play to them. Like, you know, um, if someone's going to buy a, a Starbucks coffee, Howard Schultz is going to get a lot richer. But if someone buys a, um, a change please coffee, you know, one of our baristas gets off the streets and, um, that that's that that's a big positive shift right so so um yeah yeah and it's great it's great that um people are starting to look out for that more and more in terms of consumers are wanting like you said are wanting that um positive outcome from where they're spending their money and that can be seen from something as big as the sun shifting um to having more green views to something like the the end the change please enterprise that um ask you know put the money towards something um more worthy than uh, than giving your money to a to yeah. a billionaire or a millionaire. There's, I mean, there's um, so many there's so many great examples. I mean, you look at mm. things like like sustainability and impact are going to become so core to every business over the next decade. It's not going to be sitting down the end of the corridor. It's going to be. A conversation in the boardroom, um, and there's this, you know, this concept that's quite established now of the the triple bottom line. So the bottom line that obviously the traditional one of of money, but also the the bottom line of um, social impact and environmental impact. I think is is going to become more and more mainstream. Um, and and I think the there's an interesting thing, this world of impact investing, and the the guy um, who brought it, uh, Sir, Ronald, Sir Ronald Cohen, who um, basically brought venture capital to the UK and and like the VC thing his whole thing about impact is if you start measuring the impact of every business across um across the world it become it allow it opens up all sorts of different um investment opportunities in the same way that risk risk did risk um, only only really came around as venture capital came around as like a metric but now it's thrown around so much so if impact is suddenly measured in the same way by every business suddenly every investment portfolio is geared in that that kind of way um yeah so it's it's exciting i think i think the i suppose the coming back full circle to the where this conversation started i think i think if you move the money you change the world that 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 for me is the the kind of in a nutshell what i'm trying to say like you if if, if these two things these two powerful forces are fighting against each other forever and money is is going one way and kind of people's desire and 
things are on another way, which is sort of what's been happening with climate change for a long time, right? It's been seen as too expensive to write the cheque to solve the problem. Suddenly, now that money is over here and on the positive side, um, more, more money is there driving that, you know, move the money, change the world. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. I think I think you're right. The next decade, I think, has the potential to be so powerful, and things are going. The world's going to change so much, for for bad, but also hopefully mostly good, in so many ways. And this this might be changing gears slightly, but you we're t- we've spoke a lot about change, societal change, that kind of thing. I know you know being a strategist and and what you do in your day job. I know you, you I'd consider you an expert in like behavior change. I'd love to get your thoughts on like how societal change happens like for example the mental health uh, stigma has has changed massively over the last 10 years it's been a really iconic decade for that i mean in, as a strategist i mean how how proactively would you approach trying to tackle a big macro level societal change shifting so much like that like how does that actually happen is it just the money thing or are there other ways in that those stigmas change and people change yeah it, it's interesting it, i i don't think it happens it definitely doesn't happen overnight or, or very rarely happens overnight i mean i think that the best example i can think of of something really quickly shifting was the um the plastic uh, the attitude towards plastic after 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 blue planet um you know suddenly the, the amount of reusable bottles and things that are that are out there like that that felt like a a really quick switch from just not really thinking about plastic to suddenly being like we need to do something about this problem. So that that's probably the only one that's been super quick. I think generally in the world we live in, we ride tides in culture. So you you see waves that are emerging and like whether that's sustainability. Um, I mean, I had a, when I was at my previous agency, um, I had a really small part to play in uh, This Girl Can, the, the Sport England campaign about getting women into exercise. Um, like, like, you know, I was involved in the pitch, but didn't really, get involved much after but this it was very much about this sort of uh there was a bit of a rising tide of you know a bit about a backlash against the way women exercising were portrayed you know, you'd see the classic nike ad of these supermodels in, in lycra and like lululemon and all those kind of things there was a backlash against that and it was and and just the way women are portrayed generally in society and and it and i think it it, it tapped into a it, tapped, it struck a chord, really, and tapped into a, a, a rich vein of culture and, and rode that wave at exactly the right time. Um, so I think a lot of the time you, your job is to like look for things that are emerging and try and make them bigger and, and make them blow up. And in the case of This Girl Can, it was something that was probably kind of bubbling, but that campaign just went, went nuts, right? Um, I think similarly with sustainability, like it's been happening for a long time um, and the shift towards... You know, climate change reframing as the climate emergency and extinction rebellion after the um the the reports following paris about the we're gonna get nowhere near stopping at two degrees of climate change or global warming and that massive ramping up of the narrative and the the drastic drastic action they took did change things quickly and and you know greta coming along and doing it in a slightly different way with 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 um with students was also a, an amazing move i think it's it's hard to pinpoint like a, a single thing that starts these these things going. I think um, there are there are interesting like turning points and different forces that that work together. I think with mental health, it 
it was getting, it was becoming more and more apparent. There was lots of conversations, lots of the communication was around the problem. Um, and, you know, things like there was the campaign that I think Calm did around uh, people, like male suicide and the, the, build, the people stood on buildings in, in London, about 84 male suicides a, a day or, or a week or, for, uh, yeah, so really, really striking stuff, really shocking. And I think it has now shifted to be more about the solution, which I think is interesting. When you look at the Britain Get Talking campaign that ITV have done, which is brilliant, it's all about mental well-being rather than mental health. And, and it's almost like there's an acceptance that it's a problem. And, and it took a while to get to that point. And you had you know, every celebrity would, would find a way to get on Lorraine and talk about their, their running with their, their mental health issues themselves. And, you know, that, that it, it's, it's lots of, I think, I suppose with this sort of thing, this sort of cultural change thing, it's a lot of, a lot of things coming together at the, in the right place in the right time. I used to work at Comic Relief and as things shifted in terms of, um, I guess just, I don't know, I don't really like the word woke, wokeness, but like woke culture as people started becoming more woke and more aware of different issues. Um, one thing that was flagged at Comic Relief or one thing that was in the, the news was um, the fact that they used um, they used white celebrities um, to, I think the media described it as white saviorism. So white celebrities would go over to Africa and take pictures with like, you know, these African babies and like be shown that they were making some big impact. But I think as things shifted and uh, how how do I put it? As society shifted and people um, started to realise different things, they they realised that maybe that wasn't the correct way to go about things. And then Comic Relief decided to change... Um, decided to change the way that they did things so like things starting to simmer then what i'm trying to say is things starting to simmer then slowly evolve to a charity like comic relief making a change which will then evolve to you know a, a change on a wider scale of people's view of africa for example africa isn't this country with that's full of poverty and malnutrition that there are other things and positive things that are going on over there as well so maybe it's kind of that that as it starts simmering it's just, it's a natural progression and a, and a natural involvement i think it's it's a you, you could probably map it back on numerous things um but yeah i think i think there's you know lots of things sort of bubble and bubble and bubble and then it feels like all the change happens at once but it's rarely the case you know there's always lots of things pushing and i think if you're it depends a bit on you know, sometimes you'll you'll come and work on a piece of you know, a piece of comms or a campaign, and you'll feel like you're pushing water uphill because it it's not necessarily the right timing. But sometimes it'll be exactly the right time, and it'll really strike a chord, and um, it'll fly. So it's it's um it is an interesting one in that in that regard. But yeah, I think it does it does bubble and then kick. And I think there's some interesting things around like so for a movement to be successful, there's there's a rule called the three three point five percent rule. So you you need three and a half percent of um, people in the country to get behind that movement for it to then have an effect on policy. And when I say involved, that means like, you know, doing something physically on the streets and, and properly talking about it and engage rather than like liking yeah, a yeah, Facebook yeah. Not just tweeting about the problem. Yeah, exactly. But... You, need to, you need to do yeah, more than just yeah, talk. Yeah, but three and a half percent is a tipping point. Yeah, and, and, the, and this, um, I think it was a Harvard professor or some other prestigious US uni, um, went and studied like, every social movement over the last 200 years 
about engagement and that three and a half percent thing holds true in almost every in every single instance the ones that were successful if it reached three and a half percent of people out there and doing something it tipped um so it's, and that and that then has that knock-on effect on you know the other people to, to get behind it but it's yeah it's um there's there's um there's some interesting science about it and like the the effects of like the more radical flank so like you think of things like the um extinction rebellion you know doing things like pouring blood all over shells headquarters all like they're there and like like tying up certain bridges in london all those kind of things were like ballsy and bold but they they needed to be really and and the radical what's called the radical flank effect it it's it seems radical at the time but it moves the needle in the conversation and it pulls people over to make room for the conversations that are happening now like what's happening at the g7 this week and things like yeah, that yeah. like if if it wasn't for people over here you know the suffragettes right if they weren't turning themselves to railings and um protesting then it would have taken a long time for women's suffrage to to become a thing right so um that you need the people that look extreme at the time to do those things for thing, things to shift um so yeah th- there is there is kind of i won't bore you too much by going into too much of the like social theory of it, but there is like there are certain things that can help things tip and it's not just you, you, it's not just an ad campaign or a documentary most of the time there's all these like other things happening in society that can do it yeah well we know we know through working in pr that the difficulty of getting um getting stories into news especially now with covid and everything that's going on and yeah i think it's something that's exaggerated been exaggerated over the pandemic in terms of the sensationalism of of media and you need to like extinction rebellion they needed to do something extreme to get those headlines because compared to you know the other the rest of the sensationalism that's going on in media and the clickbait kind of news that's out there um i think media are having to do it's and this is probably a different conversation but media are having to use sort of more extreme report on more extreme things to generate traffic themselves so to get that cut through and to really make an impact sometimes you do need to do you do need to do those those kind of things yeah yeah i'd like to think that people might feel quite empowered hearing about um you mentioned like the 3.5 percent rule i mean it it seems like almost a it feels like an achievable goal against issues that can feel like insurmountable mountains like climate change and things like that and i mean you see a lot of people relate to the feeling of like okay you you care about something really deeply like the environment you you can put a post on social media but i think it's encouraging people to think what can i do what's my place in the world and how can i influence this change and that's something we've spoken about on so many episodes now like for example as a strategist chris you've obviously moved into doing more progressive work that ties to topics that you believe in deeply like for me and Rupert tried to make this podcast to encourage certain conversations to happen and yeah, I'd, I'd really encourage people listening to really think about what they can do in their lives to affect the issues they care about. And even if it's something that feels quite small, it it might play into this rising tide that you've mentioned and eventually might encourage, you know, the, the big, the big giant corporations and companies and, and world and, you know, everything in the world to, to shift in the right way, like you say. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, th- I think the three and a half percent doesn't feel like a big number, does it? Um, and I think no, if, if, yeah, it feels achievable. Yeah, and if it's the difference between going on a protest and not, you know, lots of people will wake up in the morning and be like, "Ah, oh, can't be asked today." Like the when you know it just needs to be that three point five percent. That's 
I mean, what is that? In, what is that in this country? There's like 50, 50 million odd, odd adults, 55 million adults. So that's like uh, just under 5 million, isn't it? To get to, get to and it's not even that. So, you know, you're, you're not talking massive numbers to get lots of people out there. A um, couple of million get, gets it out there. And, and I'd, I'd argue things done by the, the youth climate strikes last year and it is already shifting. I would say the climate movement has reached that three and a half percent comfortably. Um, so yeah, it's it is moving, and it's it is, it is you know it, it definitely there are definitely ways that as an individual you can have an impact on stuff. I think the personally, I think the obviously doing things like I don't know um, switching to green energy and and things like that make a difference um, because you move. By, by, by buying a brand that is doing something you know positive rather than one that's making money you're moving the money right that that's a you're purchasing the most powerful tool you have in your pocket is your your pounds right you probably get to vote uh, maybe 10 times in your life right 10 times for a, for a politician who may or may not do something you want and probably more often than not they won't but you spend money every single day on brands and businesses that um, benefit, right? And if the ones that are benefiting and rising to the top are the ones that are doing good in the world, then everyone else will will follow that. So it it might be simple to go. Ah, oh, look, I'll go on a an energy comparison site, and it's slightly cheaper for me to, me to go with these guys rather than these guys. But that extra forty quid might make quite a big difference in driving things. And actually, energy is now just as cheap to, to go green as it is to do anything else. But, but like, you know, the, the model of voting with your pounds, I think, is is really important. And, and obviously, you don't want to get into spending five times as much to be able to be an a, a ethical consumer. But if you can if you can make a make the slightly... Like, I remember a, a mate of mine was a pro sportsman, and he used to talk about his nutritionist was like, just all you got to do is just choose the slightly healthier choice every time you... You go to buy something, you go to eat, right? So it's like, I don't know, the, the slightly, the low-fat chicken sandwich or whatever it might be, right? Just choose the slightly healthier choice and it'll have a benefit on you because, you know, you're doing it every day, right? And if you choose the slightly, the more ethical choice every single time with the way you spend your money, the world's going to change. It'll happen slowly, but it will change. And you've, you've told us about the coffee enterprise, um, Change Please, um, and obviously you run is it you run another business um serious yeah. tissues as well yeah yeah so um we we sort of we built on the thanks for bringing it up i mean i think we, we basically learn a lot from from change please um and the, I, I, this core thought of just you know just change what you buy and you can make a difference you can change the world feels like it can work in it, almost any category um so the, the where we stood where we went next was um was toilet roll um which sounds like a random one after coffee, but, you know, different different categories, all those kind of things. Um, I won't get into the relationship, but but basically, there's a crazy stat that I think twenty seven thousand trees are cut down every day to make toilet roll. Like trees that have grown. I was watching, you know, Greg Wallace's things when he goes to the factories and then they go inside. He went to look at how they make toilet paper, and he stood in this forest in like Norway or something similar, massive majestic trees that, and he's like. Oh yeah, how long did that these take to grow? And the, the person's like, oh, 20, 20, 20, probably twenty years. And then they're like, cut it down, make some bog roll out of it. And you're like, you just spent, you know, something that's spent twenty years growing 
to then be cut down and, and make toilet roll with is is staggering. And like it, it's it's ten million trees a year cut down. It's around twenty percent of deforestation globally is toilet roll, which is absolutely mental. Yeah, I feel um, quite distressed here. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it's I mean, uh, all all of this all of our natural life just to yeah. wipe our ass. Like it's yeah. it's ter- terrifying. It's, I mean, you, you could reduce if if you basically switched to. Um, different products you you can remove you can you can take away a fifth of the deforestation problem in, in the world which is which is going to have a massive dent in in climate change so um yeah i think the stat is the average person will use the equivalent of 384 trees worth of toilet roll in their lifetime so you as an individual will cut down you know a massive forest just to wipe your ass is is staggering um so so the way so our our product um and and it, look, it's it's a it's a recycled toilet roll. It's it's good. It's three ply. It perfectly comfortable. All of those kind of things. No no issues with that. We plant a um we plant a tree for every roll someone buys from us. So um we're in our early days. We've we I think we've just planted our fifty thousandth tree, uh, but that's in six months, right? Or le- or less than six months since we've been focused on the tree. So you know just by and, and it's gathering speed. More and more people are getting on board. Um, more and more people are, are recommending friends because you know if you if you subscribe to us, you're you're replanting over four hundred trees a year. So, um, and that might be a family pack because that's quite a lot of toilet roll for one person to get through. But you know, you're um, you can re you can you know replant your year your lifetime's worth of toilet roll through just switching just that making that simple switch to us from from someone else. Um, and yeah, so so that's that's been something that again it's that same same sort of thing. It's just that. That little switch, right? Look left rather than right, and um, or probably should say look right rather than left, and and um, and you can make a difference in the world. And if everyone just spent a little bit smarter, um, money changes things, right? You move the money, you you change the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, I I mm. think I'm definitely going to switch to serious tissues today. Yeah, yeah. This. I'm Get looking on. at the website. I'm on literally on the buy page right now. Good I, man. I, yeah, the um, the the three ply the three ply is back in stock today, which is exciting. Oh, good. Yeah, I've just seen it's out of stock. Yeah, good, good, good. It's been great chatting to you, Chris. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. It's been really, really insightful. Yeah, no worries. No, really enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks to Chris Baker for chatting to us today. This podcast was produced by Tom and I and sound produced by Jack Sudderby. 